Hi, I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the Executive Director of The Hub. Welcome to In Conversation with David Frum. On this program, you'll hear big thinker and writer David Frum's exclusive analysis of contemporary events, issues, and ideas for The Hub. In Conversation with David Frum is hosted by The Hub's editor-at-large, Sean Spear. If you're enjoying this program, please visit our website at www.thehub.ca for more great insights into the big issues and ideas driving the public conversation. The Hub's podcasts featuring David Frum are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky-Gluskin Charitable Foundation. Welcome to Hub Dialogues. I'm your host, Sean Spear, editor-at-large at The Hub. I'm honored to be back in conversation with David Frum for another installment of our bi-weekly video and podcast series on the key issues concerning Canadian policy and politics. In today's episode, we're discussing the Trudeau government's controversial changes to the Canadian passport, which removes various historical images and references, such as Terry Fox and Vimy Ridge, and replaces them with rather banal and unrecognizable sketches of people in landscapes. In particular, I'm keen to get David's perspective on what these changes might tell us about how the government conceives of Canadian identity in the country's own image of itself. Somewhat relatedly, we'll also briefly discuss this week's report from former Governor General David Johnston about foreign election interference and its implications for Canadian democracy. So we have a lot to cover. David, thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. We're speaking on May 25th. As I mentioned, David Johnston released his report a few days ago in which he warned of foreign interference and failures with how intelligence is distributed within the Canadian government, but found no evidence of political negligence on the part of the Trudeau government. What's your reaction to his findings? Yeah, um, it bothers a lot of people, I think, that such a report would be done by someone who's not an intelligence specialist, um, doesn't uh, have deep knowledge of Canada-China relations, um, and ha- is sort of a, has a known stance on the Canada-China relationship, um, and, and has a close relationship, a friendly relationship with the serving prime minister. Um, you know, if you're a government and you're looking for someone to say, we didn't do anything as bad as the people are saying we did, you need to make that super arm's length. And, and it, it is puzzling why they wouldn't do that. And it, it you know, it, I, I, he, he may be right, but he's not the person to say it. And there's there's an and he's especially not the person to say um, that there shouldn't be a public inquiry. Um, as many people pointed out, Canada has precedence for handling sensitive material in a public inquiry. Now, it may be in this case because so much of the material is going to deal with um, uh, sources and methods and classifications. Um, it, it may not be feasible. I mean, if it turns out that one of the reasons that Canada knows what it knows is because of human sources that either the Canadian government or the U.S. government has. Obviously, you don't want to be talking about that in any way that can tip the hand of the Chinese state. Um, But again, you need that to come from someone with uh, a different standing. And um, the whole thing smells like uh, it, it smells like there's something to hide. And it smells like the actions of people have something to hide. And and, uh, if they don't have something to hide, it's a very strange thing they did. If they if they do have something to hide, then this was maybe their best option. I mean, people often say uh, the cover-up is worse than the crime. But, of course, that depends on what the crime is. I mean, if, if, if you actually did murder grandma with a hatchet, cover-up may be your only, may, may be your best hope. As you say, David, the process has led to a debate about the smallness of Canada. Johnston was friends with the prime minister's dad and knew him as a child. 
He turned to one of his other friends, former Supreme Court Justice Frank Iacobucci, to determine whether he was too conflicted to carry out the investigation. He involved a lawyer with proximity to the government. Someone has called the whole process peak Laurentian. As we turn to the passport controversy, what do you make of the argument that notwithstanding Canada's self-image as diverse and egalitarian, its quote-unquote establishment is actually quite small and cozy? Yeah, well, I'm not sure that that's That's true. I mean, it may be that this fraction of the establishment chooses to be small and cozy because you're looking to your friends to bail yourself out. I mean, I I don't know, for example, why if you were um, why if you were doing this, you wouldn't rely on people with more technical expertise. And including, um, by the way, they don't have to be all Canadians. I mean, given that a lot of this information will be shared among the five eyes partners. Um, why you wouldn't invite um, uh, somebody with a British intelligence background or an Australian intelligence background to sit alongside someone with a Canadian intelligence background and say, as professionals in the field, uh, people with the highest level of security clearance, um, that we can uh, we can say whether what happened here was, as the Johnson report says, um, a mere process problem or something deeper. Um, and as I think people have also said. The pro- it being a process problem um, is not quite the answer because oftentimes in government, um, people don't know things because they don't want to know them. And, uh, and the, the question has been raised by many, if it's, if it's even true that the prime minister didn't know, why didn't the prime minister know? How did it happen that intelligence and national security were such low priorities that this material didn't naturally flow to the prime minister's desk? Um, this, what seems to be, what should have been his highest concern seems if the if the government's own story is true, their best defense is what should have been our highest concern wasn't our highest concern. Why not? And and again, that's not just a process problem and you need someone other than your friends. And I don't accept that in a country of nearing 50 million people that is integrated in all kinds of NATO and Five Eyes institutions that you couldn't find people whose word would carry. And if you are innocent, um, you want that, if you're not not innocent, but if you are, because there's no. Um, but if the worst hypotheses are wrong, then you want to be validated by people whose validation will carry weight, especially when, especially when it's a subject where, pe- where the, the public cannot see the evidence and has to take it on faith to some degree. It's been a couple of weeks since the government rolled out the new passport design. It's been a funny controversy that's evolved into a broader debate about symbols, identity, and the country's sense of citizenship. Let's just start with the passport. What did you think? You have to put this in, in context um, because passports are um, documents that are designed for security and, and they're not um, – the expressive quality of a passport is always subordinate to its security content. And I, I am prepared to say that someone said, look, these designs that we've chosen, bland as they seem, are actually chosen because they were especially hard to falsify. But all, all of this is in a context where there's been an attack on Canadian symbols – um, you know, dis, uh, the removal of McDonald's statues. And there has been um, a campaign of denigration against Canadian history. Um, and, you know, the, when, when the prime minister of the country in his own voice uh, um, lends credence to the idea that Canada's history is genocidal, um, and then you start erasing all of these symbols, it adds up to a message, I am not proud of the country I've been chosen to lead. And I don't think our history is a good history. And and how do you, and, and I'm putting that on the document that we show the world. I'm on the document, by the way, that millions of people all over this planet would give anything they had to possess. 
uh, how many people would love to carry a Canadian passport? You say to them, well, we, we who issue it, we don't believe in what it says. You know, Canada has always had a problem with nationhood. Um, and so many of the things that would be symbols of nationhood in other countries are precluded in Canada. So you can't put Wolf and Montcalm on the passport anymore. That, you know, that's out. Um, you can't put the, the people who explored the West because uh, that's out because, well, there were people already there. So they weren't explorers, they were invaders. And the, the, um, what even, I mean, the, one of the things that was, that I have to say, I've always been bothered a little bit personally by the Terry Fox cult because um, Terry Fox was, was obviously a symbol of tremendous Hero heroism and courage and endurance. But countries make national heroes of people whose courage and endurance is for national causes. And one of the reasons Canada agreed to celebrate Terry Fox was that he was someone who showed all of the, these extraordinary human uh, attributes, but severed from any civic content. He, he was against cancer. That's it. Well, we're all against cancer. I mean, everybody knows there's no one who's pro-cancer and, and there's no one who's on the side of cancer. Um, and cancer is not a distinctly Canadian problem. You're not speaking on behalf of the Canadian community against cancer. It's just you're a human being who's, again, who's suffering this terrible affliction um, and you uh, respond to it with heroism and courage and endurance and people admire that all over the world. But there's nothing distinctively Canadian about it. It just accidentally happened to be done by a Canadian in, in Canada. Um, that uh, normally countries choose heroes whose heroism is on behalf of, of the country. Nathan Hale, I regret I have only one life to give for my country. Charles de Gaulle, Winston Churchill, these are symbols of nationhood. Um, and the, the Vimy Ridge symbolism uh, is, again, disassociated from what the, the fact that Canada has always, by the way, chosen Vimy rather than the battles of the Hundred Days. The hundred, in the last three months of World War I, Canadian troops spearheaded uh, the march into Belgium and against the German Empire. Uh, they won battle after battle. Um, they are present at the Battle of, of Amiens, which is uh, which General Ludendorff, the commander of the German army, called the Black Day of the German army, the first time German troops ran away in the whole history of the Western Front. And it was Canadians they ran away from. But that story is a story with content. That's not just a story of suffering and endurance. That's a story of victory in a cause that Canadians once believed in, but present-day Canadians, they don't disbelieve in it. They just don't remember it anymore. And Canada has a story worth telling. And, of course, there are blots on the story. I mean, we're human beings, um, and you have to do justice to the blots. But when all you see is blot, you can't be trusted to lead the country if you look at the country's history and say, I just see one big blot and nothing to be proud of. The Prime Minister, David, at times has spoken of what he calls a, quote, post-nationalist state, unquote. Why don't you reflect a bit on the challenges in leading a post-national state in the absence of national symbols and a sense of shared citizenship and so on? Well, look, the creation of post-national institutions is one of the great achievements since the Second World War. Um, you know, we're all glad to be belong to the World Trade Organization and, um, and that uh, if you um, have a billing dispute when you're in Malaysia, you can call the visa company and they will arbitrate between you and the Malaysian merchant. <laughs> and, um, and that Canada is embedded in this thick network of friendships and partnerships and alliances um, and, and that we build a world in which um, 
you know, you can go to halfway across the planet and um, feel reasonably at home, that you can communicate. And we have these now we have these coming instant translation devices where you will speak in English and your, your interlocutor will speak in Japanese. And very soon those earbuds that you now use to listen to music will share your conversation. Those are all tremendous accomplishments. And, and um, you know, we look at our American neighbors uh, in the Trump years, and we see the, the vices and viciousness of, of narrow and selfish nationalism. But as this world community grows together, we grow together in pride with what we were. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if, if you're French, you might say, well, Charles de Gaulle's vision of France was maybe limited. Uh, maybe it doesn't speak to where France is in the 2020s, where it's proudly integrated into a European community that Charles de Gaulle was so suspicious of. But he's still our hero. And indeed, you know, we'll share him uh, because other people can admire him too. And so um, it's like it's like growing from um, one phase of life to another that, yeah, we hope as we grow into later phases of life, our, view, our perspective broadens and we discover wider sympathies. But we can't be ashamed of our own families and our own neighborhoods and our own, the foods of our own childhood. Um, so Canada can only be a real contributor to this post-national global community of democracies, free market democracies that we want to be a part of. If Canada said, you know, Canada helped build that. Um, the, 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 the people who went to battle in the First World War were fighting for this thing. And we, when we can't honor, we can't dishonor them and then say, but we honor what they left us. You're one click away from getting access to all the Hub's best analysis and insights. Visit our website, www.thehub.ca now and sign up for our free weekly email news digest. Every Saturday morning, we'll send to your inbox the cutting edge thinking and analysis of our smartest contributors on the week that was. Dive in to the big issues and ideas moving the public conversation, courtesy of The Hub. Again, you can grab that exclusive complimentary email newsletter right now at www.thehub.ca. Now back to our program. May I put a slightly different take to you for reaction? I wonder if conservatives are so upset about these changes to the passport because they're invested in small symbolic victories, including their own passport design or restoring the prefix royal to the Canadian Navy, because they're losing bigger political debates on issues like the size of government or climate change or, or whatever. What do you think of that theory? The straw that breaks the camel's back is usually not a special straw. Um, and it may not be the biggest straw. Um, but people have reactions to things that encompass, so that I think people have been sort of, many Canadians have been struggling with, you know, the story, the story of the residential schools and where some truth is mixed with a lot of falsehood to tell a story that is fundamentally false, to tell a story of, of genocide rather than um, negligence and bureaucratic indifference. And those, um, those are real, that, those are things to be ashamed of. As Oscar Wilde um, went to prison um, and wrote a book about his prison experience. And afterwards he said, those who think of cruelty as being committed, he didn't use the term sadism, but by, but by, by sadists, don't understand that the real cruelty in the modern world comes from bureaucratic indifference. Okay, so that's, that's the story of the residential schools. But that's not a good enough story for those who want to defame the entire Canadian experience. Um, but it's complicated to talk about that. 
Um, and it's also the truth there. There's that because it's a mix of truth and falsehood. You can't simply fling the lie in the face of the defamer because the defamer is saying some things that are true. Um, but with the passport, you can say that's it. This is the straw. This is the straw. Um, and we were already. I mean, Terry Fox and Vimy are already indications of a reduction of national pride because um, if because you're not telling the story of Billy Bishop. And you're not telling the story of, the, of the, the battles where Canadians won and led the way in the First World War because you're not going to tell the story of World War I. D-Day isn't there. Um, the, the, the merchant marine in the Second World War where Canada fed um, Britain and so many Canadians lost their lives winning the Battle of the Atlantic. Those stories with content, they've already been scrubbed. Um, and, uh, and now I think one of the things that's also going on, I've begun to hear this, that in order to properly and rightly say the story of Canada begins when human settle, human settlers for human beings first walked this land 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 years ago, whenever that was, that's when the story of Canada begins. Absolutely. That's part of the story of Canada. And when you teach your children, you should teach it. Um, but what is now happening is in order to include the human and cultural history of indigenous people inside the history of Canada, there also, there's now an effort to include the political history of indigenous people within the political history of Canada. And that's simply, and, and there's some distinguished people who are trying to do this, and it's simply false that Canada as a political community is not continuous with pre-European Canada. Um, and pre-European pre Canadian, pre-European uh, pre Canadians founded patterns of settlement and transportation and waterways and, and um, food development. Um, the way Canadians walked and, and paddled and ate were all continuous, but the political communities were not. And if you're trying to sell that story, you're selling people something that isn't true to give them an inadequate substitute for the thing that is true. And they need this nourishment. People need to know where they came from, where they truly came from. As the country becomes more diverse, how should we manage the balance between rooting ourselves in a shared sense of history and incorporating new and different symbols that reflect Canada's evolving experience and, and character? Well, in my parents' lifetime, the Frums would have counted as part of the diversity. We don't anymore. We've been we've we've been uh, we've been melted into the pot. But my you know my uh, father's family came to Canada in 1930. They were not British Canadians, obviously. And my mother's family came in 1914, and they were not British Canadians, obviously. Um, and the, but the reason they came, uh, and the thing they came to, was something that was created under the British crown, um, and um, in its good aspects and its bad, and. Uh, I think that, the, that it's actually the Trudeau government and his father's government before that have historically sold an ideological project as a, as a response to demographic change and as a response to immigrants. The immigrants themselves, I don't think, are clamoring for this. Um, the people who have left behind one world to come to a life that they think is better appreciate that it's better and want to know why it's better. How did this happen? Um, uh, why is what is happening in Canada more successful than more welcome, more human, more free, more prosperous than the place I left behind or my people left behind? No, no one's insulted by that. This is an ideological project. It is not a natural response. And um, as the fact that, you know, you, you look at um, the people who are who, who are turning out on Canada Day, who are proud to be Canadian, they represent every face and every face and aspect and faith and climb. Um, this, that, that, that's, that's an excuse and a rationalization for something that is done for ideological, not for, um, not because there's some popular clamor for it. Let's just say, David, we're having this conversation on May 25th. This week, the city of Calgary 
and other cities announced that they're suspending their Canada Day celebrations in response to some of these trends and developments that we've been talking about. It leads to the question, is patriotism good politics in your view? Patriot, look, it, it, look, it depends on the country, right? Um, different countries have different records. Um, and different, um, but Canada has a uh, Canadian patriotism. Canada has a pretty good record to tell, a, a story to be proud of. Um, and uh, it is astonishing to me that there are people who think that, 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 um, that, that there isn't and would imagine that their fellow citizens would go along with that. Um, yeah, and again, you have to have wider vision. Just the day before you and I record this, the president of the Ukrainian parliament, I believe that's who it was, went to the Polish parliament to speak about the terrible atrocities that the Ukrainians had inflicted on Poles in the last days of World War II, which were, by the way, responses to other atrocities that Poles had inflicted on Ukrainians, and both of them had inflicted atrocities on the Jews. And the point is not to say, one, that we deny it, is it's true, nor that we're so crushed by it that we have to annihilate ourselves. Instead, that the, the widening sympathy means that as Ukrainians and as Poles and as part of a European community in which, which, in which Germany plays a leadership role and in a, in a Ukraine which is now has a Jewish president, that you can honor each other's history and discover in your own history resources to be good, good neighbors of a global community. But that doesn't require you to abolish your own community. And, and it is not because of uh, the needs of being better global citizens that Canada today is being effaced if it is. And I'm, I'm horrif- astonished and horrified to hear that the leadership of any Canadian government would do such a thing. And by the way, the very existence, the name Canada Day is already the product of a previous effacement uh, because something else that was part of Canadian history was in its time regarded as unsayable. That Canada began as a dominion um, and began under the British crown and achieved and, and was, was able to hold on to its independence in the face of American uh, power because of the protection of the crown. What You made that unsayable. And so back in the 60s, there's one set of euphemisms. And now those sets, sets of euphemisms are regarded as not euphemistic enough. Let's wrap up by trying to connect the dots between some of the issues and topics we've talked about today. You've said on previous episodes, David, that one of the challenges Canada faces when it comes to its national security resources and capacity is a kind of discomfort in the notion of nation state and the need for those types of capacities and functions. And it seems to me that's related to the issues that we've been talking about when it comes to our history and sense of identity and so on. How can Canada find the self-confidence to both ensure that it honors and reflects its historical accomplishments, and as you say, its profound failures in some cases, but also have the capacity to protect itself and its citizens when it comes to its own national security. I think those all those cultural resources are present. They, they just need to be given voice. Um, and uh, it, it, this is not a national psychopathology. Um, this is a psychopathology of a particular group of people who are driven by particular ideological projects um, that don't, I think, actually have a lot of popular resonance. So the way you do it, you do it is you just do it. Um, and, um, and you, uh, and you make it a political argument. Um, you, 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 so as, as, as you say, the passport thing, it may be the most trivial manifestation of this problem, but if that becomes an issue, let it be an issue. Um, and let, let, let politicians talk about it and say, you know what, um, as I said, Vimy and Terry Fox are not my favorite symbols, but, uh, if they are, if 
let them be symbols and then and then start pushing and then let's have you know one of the things i've always thought is that there should be some national commemoration on the anniversary of the battle of amiens in august uh, of ni- 1918 uh, and to say you know what this is one of the greatest military achievements of the canadian nation and where Canadians fought as Canadians and not within a British army, but as in a Canadian Corps. Um, and then tell the other things, that, and not just the military things, the scientific discoveries, the artistic discoveries, and tell that story and tell it, tell it with pride. And don't and tell and, and live in the full truth. Um, and also tell the stories of bureaucratic indifference and, and the authentic suffering. But there is a kind of a term... I don't know if I think I coined it. I, I've been using it so long that if I've, if I've stolen it from anybody else, I stole it so long ago that I no longer remember who I stole it for. That Canada has had one of its problems is one of issue envy. That it looks at America's problems and thinks, we want those problems. You know, you can't, you can't have the best problems. We want our problems. You, you know, you have, you have problems of racial violence. We want problems of racial violence. And we are going to keep digging through our history till we find some episode of racial violence so that we can also lacerate ourselves as you do. And, and Canada, you know, you'll, you'll, if you look, you will find, uh, because it, the evils of human nature are the same everywhere. It's also true that Canada as a country has had a particularly benign and gentle history, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's a good message to end today's conversation. David, I want to thank you for joining me, and I look forward to catching up in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to In Conversation with David Brum, brought to you by The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Please share your favorite Hub podcast with friends and family and subscribe wherever you get your audio online. We also appreciate your ratings and reviews, so please leave us one. And a friendly reminder that you can access a video version of this recording anytime on YouTube. Simply search for The Hub or The Hub Canada, or go to our website, www.thehub.ca. I'm The Hub's Executive Director, Rudyard Griffiths. The host of today's program was Sean Spear, The Hub's Editor-at-Large. This episode was produced by Amal Atter-Guzman. The Hub's audio producers are Alex Glutch and David Matta. The Hub's podcasts featuring David Frum are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky Gluskin Charitable Foundation.